welcome back to A History of England. This is David Beeson. We're at chapter 13, which is called Wise Fool, and traces the early part of the reign of James VI of Scotland after he became James I of England. You'll remember from the previous episode that on his way down to London, James had annoyed the courts by hanging a man without consulting them first. That wasn't the English way of doing things. That kind of behaviour, it turned out, was no accident, and when he got to London, he decided to hand out the same kind of treatment to Parliament. Now, he fully understood that in the normal course of events, in, as he put it, a settled state, the king should rule in line with custom. Still today, custom in England means that it isn't the monarch that holds sovereignty alone, but the monarch in Parliament. That means it's a kind of partnership where neither side, in theory, can dictate to the other. But for James, the king alone was anointed by God, and therefore he ruled alone by divine authority, answerable to no one else. In his view, there was nothing divine about Parliament, and to be fair, I rather agree with him about that. Here's the important bit. James felt that any prerogatives that Parliament might have were granted by kings and could therefore be withdrawn by them. The trouble was that one of those prerogatives, which Parliament was far from ready to give up, was control of the government's purse strings. The only tax revenue the king could count on by his own authority alone was from tariffs on trade. If he needed anything else, he had to get it voted for by Parliament. That gave it far more power than he might like. In addition, James wasn't keen on being king of three separate nations, Scotland, Ireland and England, with Wales tacked on. He wanted to bring them into a single kingdom of Britain, with Ireland tacked on. The trouble was the English aren't generally keen on foreigners. They'd learnt to cope with the Welsh, but a bunch of uncouth Scotsmen with residence rights in England, the right to work, freedom of movement, even back then, freedom of movement and of residence wasn't something the English were that keen on conceding to anyone. The only difference today is that the target has changed. The Scots are more or less tolerated. Worse still, there would be free trade, and the English wouldn't be able to block Scottish imports with tariff barriers. Why on earth would they want that? So Parliament said no. For the rest of his reign, James liked to style himself King of Great Britain, but England wasn't having it. Not on legal documents from this Parliament you don't, officials told him, though he did get the Scottish ones to go along with the idea. Things kept going downhill as his reign moved on. At one time, when he didn't get his way over money or the union of the two countries, he suspended Parliament altogether and told the members, I am not of such a stock as to praise fools. As many politicians have discovered since then, telling people they're fools is not the best way to make friends with them or have them vote you funds. Parliament kept him on a tight financial reign. That was above all a problem for international affairs. James was a Protestant, but happy not to make a big deal of it, at least outside Ireland. 
If people wanted to do a bit of popery in the privacy of their own home, he wasn't going to make a fuss about it. In fact, after Robert Cecil died, he surrounded himself with advisers from the Howard family, most of them secret Catholics. It's highly unlikely that it was a secret to him. It's no surprise then that without enough money for war and not keen on pushing the anti-Catholic agenda too hard, he wanted peace with Spain. Unfortunately, a particularly bloody conflict in continental Europe broke out in his reign. It came to be known as the Thirty Years' War. Not at once, of course, they had to wait for it to end to know how long it had lasted. Early on, Spanish troops invaded the German state known as the Palatinate. Still, that was Germany. Nothing to do with England, you might think. But James had a daughter, Elizabeth. Yes, that was brown-nosing. Queen Elizabeth was still on the English throne when James named this daughter. He married her to Frederick V, ruler of the Palatinate. When the Spanish invaded his son-in-law's territories, the father-in-law felt he had to come to his assistance. Back to Parliament, James went, cap in hand, for money. Parliament was perfectly ready to fund all-out war on Spain. They remembered how well the last one had gone, what with preying on Spanish ships and all. But then they discovered James was trying to marry his son to a Spanish princess. More of that in a later episode. So how could he be serious about war? Stop the idea of a Spanish marriage for your son, they said, or there's no way you're going to get the money for war. James was furious. God, give me patience, he exclaimed. He reminded Parliament of his prerogatives. Parliament reminded him of its rights. So he dissolved Parliament. Clearly, he felt law courts and Parliament were just fine, but only so long as they didn't get in government's way. Government irritated by Parliament and the law courts? That's hardly unknown in our times either. To make things worse, when Sir Walter Raleigh got back from an expedition to South America, unbelievably, to try to find the mystic land of El Dorado with all its gold, it emerged that he'd had a few battles with the Spanish against the king's explicit orders. So James had him executed. That went down like a lead balloon, since Raleigh was a national hero, a link to the grand old times of Queen Bess. James was a man who wrote books. He knew Greek and Latin. One of the lasting achievements of his reign is the translation of the Bible that he commissioned, the authorised version, often known as the King James Version. But when it came to finding ways of bringing people on side or winning the support of a key institution like Parliament, he was no use at all. As hopeless as his executed mum, Mary Queen of Scots. He'd get uptight, he'd dissolve Parliament and he'd try to do things on his own which generally meant he couldn't do them at all, or at least not do them properly. The idea of being flexible today to get his way tomorrow was simply alien to him. Just look at the way he chose to bring the Irish Catholics to heel. He decided to start settling Protestants in Ireland, especially in Ulster, in the north, 
often by driving the Catholics off their land to make space for the new arrivals. We all know about British Protestants heading to North America, and in particular to the Massachusetts Bay Colony in the 17th century. What is less known is that rather more British Protestants went to Ireland at this time. How well did that all work out? Four centuries later, peace in Northern Ireland has only been achieved at very great effort and is still far from entirely secure. James started the process that took us there. So he was good at the scholarly stuff, but not quite so hot on the practical. It's no wonder he came to be known as the wisest fool in Christendom. That's as much as we're going to cover this episode. In the next episode, we'll be looking at his love life, which is rather more complex than he perhaps imagined, and also be thinking about bonfires. Many thanks for listening.